0: Time now for Scoops with Danny Mack, the podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: The 2-1
0: pitch to Wong. Wong with a fly ball, and this will do it. A drive into deep right field. Good night. Colton Wong walks it off. Dexter Fowler trotting to the plate. 5-4. The Cardinals win it a win for the cardinals and welcome into scoops with danny mack the friday edition did not see that coming especially against riceel iglesias dan mclaughlin with you six five seven eight zero that is the text line always love hearing from you six five seven eight zero cardinals come back they get off the hook against Sonny gray and how about wayno how about yadier molina molina is returned after 22 days not playing Picks up three runs, batted in. The Cardinals win it. It was a socially distanced celebration, too, at first base, if you missed it. No piling on. No Gatorade uh, celebration, Scotty. And I'm sure that had been talked about. Let's make sure if we celebrate, if, maybe not to jinx it, probably talked about in the dugout maybe a little bit, if we celebrate, we're not going to jump on each other. We're going to socially distance.
2: I actually like it a lot more than I thought I would like I get like a huge laugh out of like seeing the antics that they do like act like they're in a high five like a pretend smack on the butt to Mike show when he's walking by I'm like that is funny like this group of this group of Cardinals is is really good gotta do it though I mean you can't can't hop on each other
0: anymore right. so maybe they'll come up with some different ways to do it throughout the season but, but I like
2: that one I was watching with the Cubs though after home run I mean they're actually high five and knuckling knuckle knuckle each other and they're it's two totally different games. It's, it's honestly, I think it's the Cardinals and it's the rest of the MLB, the way that they celebrate. Well, like, you're not supposed to. You're right.
0: <laughs> so don't do it. Don't do it. Socially distance. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. All right, the Cardinals win at 5 4. Bueno, man, oh, man. So he is nine days away, by the way, folks, from his 39th birthday. Nine days away. So last night, a couple of errors early on, you're thinking, uh uh-oh, not good. Led to a couple of runs. Freddie Galvis then next inning hits a home run. It's 3-0. Cardinals, though, come back. They get uh, two runs to make it 3-2. And then Wayno made some adjustments and uh, sets down 15 in a row and ends his night after seven innings. I mean, this guy is giving you now 12 innings since the shutdown and kept you in the game. Kept you in the game. Mike Schild on his starter, Adam Wainwright.
3: Yeah, just a, just a pro. I mean, he's just a pro's pro and got better as the game went, words out of his mouth, you know, and started to have, you know, quicker innings. Everything was sharp. Um, you know, we didn't help him out defensively early on the first, and um, but you know, it's going to happen. Our guys play great defense. So, um, you know, then just, again, got better as it went, hitting with his pitches, um, found his rhythm and just kept guys off balance hit the spots and you know that's just a tremendous job get those seven innings stretched them a little bit further than we would have preferred but he said he was feeling good and uh ball was coming out clean and, and again he's having quick innings he's being really efficient so um you know tremendous job from wayno
0: it is a tremendous job and they did stretch him further but then you think about what that means going forward that's another inning that you didn't have to go back to your bullpen. It was Reyes, it was Elledge, those guys did their job, and then it was also the return of Yadier Molina. Ho-hum, 22 days off, and he gets three runs batted in.
3: Yeah, I mean, overall, complete game, he just impacts the game in every area. I mean, you mentioned the bat, he has you a know, nice approach, base hit the other way, two-run single, you know, RBIs, you know, infield single, you know, his legs are under him, he's, he's flying down that line, so... Um, you know, three RBIs like you mentioned. Did his usual job behind the plate, catching well, understanding what to call, blocked his blocked amazing as always. You know, threw a guy out. I mean, that's just um, you know showcase for what Yachty does on 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 both sides of the ball.
0: I don't know what you guys think about this, and obviously, it's not ideal this season. Clearly, no fans, uh, sixty game season. But what I am enjoying about this season is seeing the young kids come up all the debuts and we've had a ton of them i've got a ton of them probably a lot of these guys wouldn't have been called up this year but i'm enjoying it i love seeing major league debuts i talk about it on the broadcast it's not only about the kid that comes up it's about mom dad and uncle brother sister coaches all the people that get them there and then you have Seth Elledge yesterday, lost in all this with Waino and Yachty and a walk-off. Seth Elledge getting his first major league win.
3: You know, give Alex credit. He pitched the eighth, got through it, and um, you know, continued to get him touches and then Ellie um that was great. You know, he went there bulldog and like to Derek's point earlier, you know, we're 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 at with the pitching and he's able to get that that donut, as Mad Dog would say, with the bases loaded and and, um, you know, Yachty had a trip and helped him navigate it, but give some credit to Ellie too for his first major league win. And that's gotta be a special feeling for him, clearly. And gave us a chance to do what we did in the ninth. And I and, uh, just love to fight this group, you know? This group just played eight games in five days and comes back home and they're right at the end, just scratch claw playing the game regardless of circumstances. And that's a, such a special trait for a team to, to do that. Regardless of circumstances, they're gonna play the game, play the game right. They stay present, they get after it, um, and and they they enjoy the competition regardless of the situation.
0: Let's go back to Waino for just a moment. So Adam Wainwright and these guys are starting to move up some of the all-time lists. If you didn't know it, on Saturday when he went to five innings and picked up the win against the White Sox, he moved past Bob Forge, third all-time in wins in St. Louis Cardinals history. Now some people say, well, wins, that doesn't really define what a pitcher means. Okay, you can say that, but still third all-time in wins, wins or wins or wins. Still is a metric that I buy into. Not everybody does. I do. Still got to get him. Still means something. Wainwright, he buys into wins. So what changed yesterday after the Moustakis double in the third? Because he stayed in the game and something did change. 15 in a row after that point.
3: So I, after that at bat, after, especially the start of the next inning, uh, I started trying to almost feel like I was aimed almost down uh, to try to get, get on top of the ball better, and that's been a key for me the last few years to, that, that's really worked. Um, you know, I don't know how much it actually looks different to the, to the naked eye, but to me it feels drastically different, and it, it gives me a, a better driving the ball downhill kind of effect.
0: Yeah, and he's working with Yadier Molina. Those two, sixth all-time sixth all-time teammates battery mates which is pretty amazing they're moving up the all-time list in major league history number one in cardinals history from the 636 the biggest x-factor cardinals have going uh, forward yachty's pitch calling especially so many young guys i agree with that that's not to take away from weeders not to take away from kisner just go with what he calls focus on pitch execution i do think when you have a young pitcher and Yachty knows the league so well and the fact that he's not afraid to call a game backwards meaning start with a changeup, start with a slider start with a curveball which he does all the time and we saw it last night with runners in scoring position in third or at third at second and go with a breaking ball he'll block it and he did that last night did it time and again and we saw with reyes in particular. He's bouncing that curveball, and yet he's calling it time and again. Cold Wong had the game-winning hit. He said, if Yachty's not a Hall of Famer, I don't know who is. Yachty's absolutely amazing. I mean, this dude just literally came out of, you know, his uh, quarantine, and, you know, he gets a huge knock for us to drive in two runs. I mean, if that guy's not a Hall of Famer, I don't know who he is. You know, it's just one of those things where every time he steps on the field, man, it's just so fun to watch. But, you know, it's just good to get the guys back, get, you know, more guys starting to return. You know, we're going to need that in the stretch. I agree. He's a Hall of Famer. We talked about it before even baseball was coming back. He's a Hall of Famer in my mind. Both guys are red jackets for sure. For sure. They're red jackets. That's slam dunk, no doubt. Put him in now. But uh, Yachty, to me, is a Hall of Famer. And he's edging closer to uh, 2,000 hits, which I think would solidify him for sure among catchers. By the way, you may not know this. When Yachty plays tonight, it will be... 1,990 games in his career. That ties Ozzie Smith for third all-time in Cardinals history. Pretty cool. And that'll be tonight for Yadier Molina. Uh, Danny Mack, Waino and Yadi have a chance to get to the all-time MLB battery record. Are they far off? Pretty far off on that one. Um, they would have to play a few more years. But they could wind up being fourth, maybe third. Six one eight. I know we talk about Yachty in the Hall of Fame. Do you think Wayno has a shot? I actually brought this up, um I guess it was a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it's far-fetched anymore. I used to think it was kind of far-fetched. Start looking at his numbers. Now, if he didn't have two full seasons lost, one was Tommy John, the other one the Achilles heel, start doing the numbers. And maybe I need to do a better breakdown, and I can't do it now. But I, I will start it, take a segment and look at it. He missed two full seasons, which is really going to hurt him. If you don't have those two full seasons out, it'd be a better shot, clearly, because you're talking about, oh, roughly 60 more starts. Let's say you had a full healthy season, maybe you know, 400 more innings. Roughly. Uh, you don't want to include wins. Some people don't want to look at it, but you maybe would have 30 to 35 more wins. Um then you're talking about it. But, you know, depends on how much longer he wants to go. He'll be 39 in nine days. Doesn't look like he's slowing down right now. I would anticipate he wants to keep going. It's a shortened season. The fire is still burning. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he wants to come back next year. I have no idea. We'll see. But it's been an amazing run for Adam Wainwright. I'm going to try to take a segment maybe next week and really break it down. I do think there's a debate because the days of the 300-game winner, which would solidify you for sure, that would put you in. Those days are probably over. So what does 150 to 175 wins, 200 wins? You got to start looking at ERA. You got to start looking at strikeouts. You got to start looking at longevity, those kind of things. All right, we'll take a look at it. See where he's at. Compare him to some other guys. This is always fun to look at it. Yachty, I think he's in. Nine time gold glover, platinum glover, uh, the championships, which is part of Bueno's uh, resume as well. It is interesting. 65780. We'll talk it over with Mark Saxon and the Cardinals run. What's going on right now when we come back on 101 ESPN?
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101
0: ESPN. 101 ESPN, it is a Friday and a chance to visit with Mark Saxon of The Athletic. Covers the St. Louis Cardinals day in and day out. And Sachse, uh, I got to tell you, man, um, I think uh, when you look at what's happened with the Cardinals, and if you're John Mosaylock and you are Mike Schild, and you wake up this morning after a dramatic win last night and everything they've been through, um, you have to be ecstatic right now with the way this team is played with all the double headers, all the young kids, um, the way this thing is unfolded, by the way, good morning to you, but this has been really, I think above expectations. Would, would you agree?
4: Oh yeah. I, I think there's no question, Danny Mac and, and good morning to you. Um, I think there's two reasons you're, you're really happy with this is, you know, to, to be above 500 since the return with, you know, they 11 guys at one point were on that COVID IL and now they're sort of gradually coming back, but to have survived with some of the arms that they've been forced to sort of bring up, you know, some of these guys, you know, probably weren't ready for the major leagues, but there was just no choice with all those games they were bringing up, you know, guys from satellite camp. And I I think they're one game over 500 since the return to play. That's that's extraordinary.
0: I I just didn't see that happening. I, I didn't see that happening one bit.
4: I didn't either. I thought there was some chance they'd get embarrassed, um, but the pitching was so good. There was some timely hitting. And then, and then in terms of like thinking, you know, good things going forward, think about, you know, now they're getting guys back. They're about to be full strength. I wouldn't be surprised if by midweek next week, they're all back, all the COVID guys. So now, now it's kind of go for it. And now it's, you know, Dylan Carlson's up. So you, you really got your best team out there. Um and, you know, the schedule's still going to be a little bit thick in September, but they, you know, I think these seventh inning, the seven-inning doubleheaders have been more helpful than any of us realize. Just shaving off two innings from each game really has, has mattered, and that's going to help them going forward.
0: Do you think Major League Baseball Saxy takes a look at the seven-inning doubleheaders going forward in 2021 and beyond?
4: I think they're going to take a look at all of these rule changes going forward, and I think one way to look at this is kind of a trial balloon. Um, you know, it's obvious that this season isn't going to look the same as all the others. So, so you can try some things. And I, I, I think that was smart. Um, and I think we're all going to have opinions on which ones we should stay, which one should go. Personally, I, I don't like the extra inning start with a guy at second rule going forward. I just think it's a little too, too much of a departure from how the game is played. Um, and I, I just don't enjoy watching a guy bunt and then try to hit a sacrifice fly that much. But, um, In terms of these seven-inning doubleheaders, if it's moving forward, if it's something that gives the players more days off and makes the game more watchable, higher quality, I think it's absolutely something they should look at,
0: don't you? I I do. I actually enjoy it. I think it's been good for the game. Um, As you look across the board, the three outcomes of what you have with strikeout, walk, home run, that's almost 40% across the board in baseball. So if you condense it to seven innings in these double headers, there just puts a premium on having more maybe action or at least a premium on your fourth inning, your fifth inning, your sixth inning, your seventh inning. And I, I think that means that there's more on the line in the game. So I kind of like that. I think it's a good thing.
4: Yeah, that's right. I think you can make a good argument that scratching a run across, you know, with some running and some, you know, doing trying some different things. You're right. <clears throat> One of the problems the game has now is that, it all kind of looks the same. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. They're trying to walk and they're trying to hit home runs. And if anything, that kind of takes them out of their comfort zone and you know forces them to use some different types of strategies, I think is interesting and worth looking at. And, and you're right, I think with these seven-inning games, you have to look at it differently. I mean, they just seem to me to fly by. You know, your, your starter gives you four innings, you feel pretty good.
0: Out of the young guys that have that have come up, and we may not have seen them in a normal season, who has impressed you the most? Of so, uh, uh, Oviedo and uh, Ellidge, Carlson, whoever—I—I I, I don't care—we've seen a ton of them. Who, who's impressed you the most?
4: Well, I don't even know if he would fall into the young guy category anymore. But to see Alex Reyes putting—you know—the stuff out there that he's got right now, and you do see occasional bouts of you know real wildness from him still. But my goodness, that's something that's going to play for this team in the long run. And he could be an absolutely crucial part, either of a bullpen or a rotation, you know, once he gets his feet under him, maybe for next year. So I think that's been the most impactful. With Dylan Carlson, I think you were seeing great at-bats early. You were seeing him hit into some tough luck. I think what you worry about now is that sort of confidence death spiral that comes from him waking up in the morning and looking at at his numbers. And you do kind of start to worry about that. So I think if he doesn't start getting some hits here soon, they might have to think about something. You know, the thing to keep in mind is, you know, I was covering the Angels in 2011. Mike Trout, people forget this, his first month he hit 163. Right. And he got sent back down to AAA. Now, he was 19 at the time. <laughs> That's not overstated. But Dylan Carlson's only 21 years old. And the other thing that is happening is, They're throwing him an enormous array of junk. I mean, he is not seeing fastballs. I think he's seen fewer fastballs than any hitter in Major League Baseball, um, percentage-wise. So that tells you something, and it's curious to me. I wonder whether, and you see that a lot with these young Cardinals hitters, I wonder whether their minor league hitting program is very, very fixated on velocity and just react to off-speed because it just seems like a pattern that we're seeing recurring over and over.
0: Yeah, we're seeing that I think not only with Carlson, we're seeing it with Tommy Edmond. We're seeing it really I I think just one through nine. The Cardinals yeah, are Harrison not see-
4: Bader, for sure.
0: Yeah, we're we're not seeing fastballs being thrown to anybody in their lineup. I don't know if you're noticing that too, but it's not just Carlson. It's basically one through nine. You're not seeing a fastball.
4: That's right. I think Dexter Fowler falls into that category. And, you know, there's no solution to that other than hitting them. Right. <laughs> yeah guilt the other team into throwing fastballs by calling them a name or something. (laughs) You've got to show you could either walk by taking those pitches or hit them. And that's what I mean. I think it does start to feel like a a structural issue. And I don't know what the solution is um, because they are all individual cases, but, you know, it's a problem right now. And it has been, you know, all of last year as well. So, I'm sure it's something they're looking at. I just don't know what the solution
0: would be. How do you think the Cardinals handle? I'm not sure you can say you have a one through five in their rotation. You're going to have five starters, but then you've got you know, Gomber and maybe some others like an Oviedo being stretched out. You have so many doubleheaders. Mark Saxon, my guest of The Athletic, you've got so many uh, doubleheaders coming up uh, in September just to get through the season and to stay competitive to try to get of spot. And you are going to be competitive now with hovering around the 500 mark in a little bit of normal stretch of games in a schedule wise. How do you think the Cardinals handle the pitching staff going forward?
4: Well, so in the the short term, it was interesting that they didn't immediately option Oviedo after a start, right? That would be normally what you would do, but they have a doubleheader on Thursday. So he's going to start one of those. It's pretty obvious now, right? And I think that's what they're going to have to do. It's it's selectively cycling guys up and down because you have to find a way you can't keep these guys in your bullpen for two weeks and keep them stretched out. So what you're going to have to do is send guys down to the satellite camp. And if a player is out of options, that's a problem because you're going to need, as you mentioned, once we get into September when the double headers pick up again, they're going to need like an eight man rotation effectively. Right? So what they're going to have to do, I think is send Oviedo down, keep him stretched out Um, whether they can do that with Gomber, you know, they did it once by putting them on the IL, but um, that's going to be the challenge, figuring out ways to keep guys stretched out. Or, you know, these are, you know, we hit on this a little bit earlier, you know, or you just go with bullpen games, but it's going to require exactly the same thing, which is cycling guys back and forth between the satellite camp. And that's a tricky thing to do with intake testing and all that now. So, it's, you know, I think by the end of the season, John Mose-Lock, uh, Mike Gersh, the whole front office is just going to need like a three month vacation, like they really lay <laughs> on the beach because it's going to be exhausting figuring out all these moving pieces. I, I,
0: I know that you follow the Cardinals nightly, daily, um, and trying to figure out these things, but you also follow baseball daily as well. And you watch games, you talk to your colleagues at the, at the athletic, what have you thought about the baseball in general in, in 2020, how the game has been played, the quality of play, that kind of thing. What have you thought about it in general?
4: Well, that's a good question. I think it's been, you know, the hitting was, was really depressed early on, right? Even, even with it looks, it's probably a juice ball. You just saw guys who kind of weren't ready, you know, after the shutdown, now it's you're seeing some return to normalcy with, you know, events like we've seen in San Diego the last last four nights. and But mainly I think the exciting thing is this is the time of year where all the prospects come up, right? And you're starting to see, you know, Joey Bard in San Francisco. We're seeing the best young players come up. That's the most exciting thing in baseball for me, and Dylan Carlson definitely falls in that category. You know, you see teams wait for those service time thresholds. First you get them through – you know, the, the free agency threshold, so you can keep them for a good six years. Then you get them past maybe the arbitration date, which I think just passed. So you save a little money in a few years. We're past all that now. None of that comes into, into play anymore. It's put the best players on the field and go after it. And, you know, bringing it back to the Cardinals, that's where they are now too. And and given what they've been through, I mean, that's an enormous place to be and a really really good place
0: to be do you see that with the trade deadline coming up do you see teams being active not understanding what the revenue at least we don't I, I don't but maybe you do but um do we know what the free agency uh landscape is going to look like in the off season and revenues and what next season may look like with or without fans so do we know what a trade deadline may look like coming up just about a week or so away
4: I think it'll actually be fairly active, but one thing to think about in terms of blockbusters, for me, the teams you're going to see try to pull those off are the Yankees, the Dodgers, and any other team that has a massive TV deal. You know, the Cardinals have a great TV deal, but, you know, the Dodgers, I think, is something like eight or nine times what the Cardinals is. And so teams that are still making revenue, um, I think, are going to be the more active teams. And also, you know, typically those teams are good teams anyway. They're going to want that piece. But I, I do wonder about a mid, mid, mid-market team like the Cardinals and whether they'll feel comfortable with no fan revenue, no, no, no gate, right? Sure. And so I, I think you could almost do it like an inverse portion of gate revenue to TV money in, in figuring out who's going to be the most active in terms, of, in terms of taking on payroll. For the Cardinals, I think they'll try to add a reliever, possibly a depth starter, I'd be very surprised if they make a a big impact move.
0: And finally, do you you feel like people are are treating this as legitimate season? Do you you see that teams are saying, Hey, this is legitimate and I want to go for it. I feel like I can win a championship.
4: You know, my impression of that is that major league baseball is really encouraging teams to take it seriously and view this as a season. Now, there may, I don't know this for a fact, but when the Cardinals were hit with the outbreak, I would not be surprised if there was some sentiment in the front office just like, hey, let's survive this, put a team out there because we need to keep the schedule going, but let's not over, you know, overreach for this season given the risk we're, we're taking and the, and the possible health effects for our, our best players. And what I think you did see them do is, take extra care of of the most valuable assets. One of those being Jack Flaherty. And I think that's why you saw them give him so much extra time to throw more bullpens because you do have to be cognizant of the future possibly being more meaningful. But in the meantime, major league baseball wants a good vibrant product out there. And I think they're going to pressure teams to do that. And so, you know, you may see a little bit of push pull there, you know, um, the Indians sending down two of their top pitchers, for example, You know, I think it's going to be kind of a lot of that all season. Um, But we are seeing great players now. And as I said, the young guys are coming up. So it looks like a pretty fun season to watch for me and let history sort out the rest of it, right? You know, when it's all said and done, we'll we'll find out how meaningful it was.
0: So what are you working on every day at The Athletic, Mark? What do you got going?
4: I'm doing a mailbag for today, which is fun. We're kind of the subscribers are able to, Send in some questions, and I'll put that out. Um, working on a, a story, actually, about what we just spoke about, the, the inability to hit off-speed stuff and what that means, what it says about development. And I'm working on that with Eno Saris, our our uh, main analytics writer, who's just a brilliant guy. And frankly, like some of the stuff he says, I don't even understand. But <laughs> we're, we're kind of <laughs> collaborating. I'm doing the grunt work, and he's doing the stat work on that one.
0: Awesome. Awesome stuff. Hey, Saxy, thanks, my man. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
4: Great talking to you, Danny. See you soon, man.
0: You got it. That's Mark Saxon of The Athletic, and this is 101 ESPN.
4: More of what you want to
0: hear. Scoops with Danny Mack in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
3: Oh, no, in game six, we've been there before. We know how to win these games and how to play them. We just got to go and do, play our game. Like, it doesn't change game to game. Our game is... We get pucks deep and we go to work and we grind teams down and that's what we've got to do. I felt like they were a little bit quicker than us last night. Uh, I didn't think we moved the puck quick enough in the game. Um, So I'd like, you know, we got to move the puck quicker when we're moving the puck quick, advancing it through the neutral zone, getting it in the offensive zone and getting after it. That's our game. So that's what I want to see right away in this game six.
0: Craig Berube, the head coach of the Blues. They are down three games to two, facing elimination. Let's bring in Alex Ferrario. We have got the pregame tonight.
2: Alex, that is at 8.30. Pregame at 7.30, Dan, because we are starting at 8.30. Because 8.30, drop the park. There is no more 9.30 starts, Danny. You know, I
0: just got <laughs> so used to these nine thirty starts. Seven thirty yeah, pregame, eight thirty drop the
2: puck. The okay. NHL treats us that well that you know you just you're used to. Them. Hey, don't you complain, um, no, Mister? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Can we dump that, Scotty? I'm yeah. sorry. Don't you complain? <laughs> I'm not complaining. No, you're complaining. No. Give me eleven thirty starts. That's
0: right. We would you know we were just begging for sports. So we're never going to complain Amen. again. Amen, Dan. All right, so let's go with uh, three keys to the game. Let's start with number three. No particular order. What do you have, Alex?
2: Number three for me, Dan, is going to be puck possession and physicality. And it sounds like two different options, but they coincide with each other. If you look at game six, you heard Craig Berube say it there on the return. They weren't moving their feet as much. They weren't kind of driving the bodies. The stats will tell you different, that they had 40-plus hits in that game. Sure as heck did not feel that way. So one of my keys, number three for me, is going to to be put the forecheck on play physical that's going to create puck possession if you look at the amount of time that O'Reilly Schwartz and Piranha had the puck in game 6 or I'm sorry in game 5 it really felt non-existent compared to game 3 and game 4 they weren't forcing Vancouver to turn the puck over they weren't forcing them to play fast in their own zone which causes mistakes so for me Blues getting on that high horse getting after those Canucks because look we don't know if Alex Edler's going to be playing tonight we don't know if Tyler Meyer is going to be playing tonight for vancouver that's the two players in terms of puck possession and ice time for that team so now is the opportunity to jump on these younger players and get after the vancouver canucks defenseman so number three for me dan is going to be physicality and puck possession key number two for you key number two is frustrate the hell out of jacob markstrom I felt like the blues didn't do that. They allowed and, and we talked with um we talked with Dan Murphy, Joe Vitale and I Tuesday and asked him about you know, the blues getting into Jacob Markstrom's head. And Murphy told us that, hey, look, you know, some goaltenders thrive under that where they get frustrated. Ed Belfour was one of those guys. He's breaking hockey sticks over the post but he would play even better, that might be Markstrom. But from the result of games three and games four, when he was frustrated, when Perron was in front of the net on top of the crease, taking extra hacks, when the Blues were putting bodies in front of him, he was letting goals get past him. He was getting frustrated. So key number two for me is get back to that physical play in front of Jacob Markstrom. Really get inside his head and start to make him second-guess playing this Blues team. I think that's going to be an aspect of this game that the Blues can get back to. They're a game six, game seven backs against the wall team. Craig Berube said it. This is their style. But to do that, you got to get after the goaltender. And I think that's going to be a key focus for this team tonight offensively. Key number one. It's going to be making those key saves. We don't know if it's Jake Allen or Jordan Bennington. I have my personal opinion that it should be Jordan Bennington. The numbers back up when you look at what Bennington has done when he comes off of a loss. And and, I mean, just last year in itself, he had a sub two goals against average and 10 starts after losses. So this is a guy who makes those key saves for you. You got out goaltended in game number five. It's as simple as that. Jake Allen didn't lose the game, but he didn't make the saves for you. If you're going to Bennington or if Jake Allen gets that call back, you gotta have those key saves. That moment where there's a breakaway on the odd puck or the stick breaking on the power play, you gotta get that save. That puck off the off the sidewall where you're pinched on the post and it squeaks by, you gotta get that save. One save like that breathes life and momentum into a team. They're not playing on their heels in their own zone, focusing on defense. They can focus on offense and get that north-south style hockey, get into the offensive zone. When it's a five-man unit from the, neutrals, from the neutral zone in, Dan, Vancouver doesn't have an answer for that. But they got the only way to get to that is to have those key saves and confidence in your goaltender. So whoever it may be, you got to have that key save in the action tonight against Vancouver. So you're going Bennington tonight. I'm going Bennington. Um, Look, I can make an argument for both. I think Jake Allen was very solid in net for the Blues in game number five. You're talking about one goal, maybe two goals that he would like to have back. Those breakaways... Yes, you need the saves, but that's a 50-50 crapshoot right there. I mean, When you got a guy coming in and that second one by Mott, that was post-in, Dan. I mean, the best goaltenders are going to struggle with shots like that. So he wasn't the reason that they lost. So I could make the argument for Jake Allen. He made you key saves in games three and games four. But what's the future of this franchise? It's Jordan Bennington. He wins you a Stanley Cup. You've already signed him to a two-year contract. I know he and Allen have the same length and contract. But Bennington is the guy that you're moving forward with. He's younger. He's won you a Stanley Cup. If you're going to lose, and I'm not thinking they're going to lose tonight, Baruby's not either, but if you're going to go into an elimination game with whatever could happen, happen, you're going to do that with a guy that is your future. You're not going to do that with a guy who might not be here at the end of this season.
0: So I'm watching the game. I'm watching the first five, ten minutes. How do I know if Jordan Bennington is on?
2: Well, one is... When he makes the save, he's not looking behind him. Games one and games two, when the shots would come at Bennington, it felt like every time he was he was looking over his shoulder like, hey, did I make that save? Did I make that save? I went back and watched a couple of games in, in the Stanley Cup final against Boston uh, last night, Dan. Bennington, when he made those flurry of saves in the first period he didn't look behind him once. He was on the ice, sprawled out in a spread eagle style, both legs pinched against the post. He's not looking behind him. He's keeping his head down because he knows he has it. That's one thing for me. Darren Pang always talks about confidence in net for goaltenders. When they are at the top of their crease, when the play is coming into the zone, that's a goaltender who's anticipating that puck. When you see a guy who's in the middle of the crease or backed up against the crease, maybe arms up with the post trying to hold on to that, it's a goaltender who's not confident in himself. So that's going to be something else I'm watching for with Bennington is that confidence in net. He's always a guy who plays at the top of the crease. He's quick side to side. He makes those desperation saves. That's Bennington and one more that I'm going to look at Dan is not those sprawling saves. Bennington had to make those against Boston in the, in the cup final because things didn't work out But he's a goaltender who doesn't overexert himself. He's not going side to side all the time. He's a positioned guy like a statue. So a couple of things with Bennington, but that's going to be one of them as well. Any other lineup changes you anticipate here for game six? You know, it's postseason and and it's an elimination game. I know yesterday Craig Berube said that Alexander Steen was unfit to play and doesn't expect him for the rest of the series. I wouldn't be surprised if Steen comes back into the lineup just because it is an elimination game. Um, I expect to see Carl Gunnarsson back in there. I don't think Bortuzzo had a bad game, but when you have Bortuzzo in the lineup, you have four righties. Someone's playing on the left side, and that somebody in Game 5 was Justin Falk. And I think we all all can agree that Falk didn't look in Game 5 the way he looked in Games 3 and Games 4. Defensively, he's sound and can play on the left side offensively, it gets him off of his game. And and this team is at its best when Falk can pinch in on offense. So I would look to see a Carl Gunnarsson back in the lineup tonight, paired with Petrangelo, so Falk can drop down with Vince Dunn. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Vince or, uh, to see Alexander Steen in the lineup tonight, even after Craig Berube said he was unfit to play. What's on the pregame tonight? 7.30. A lot of good stuff tonight. Uh, so we are going to have um, Scotty Upshall and Chris Mason a part of the pregame show. They're going to join us on Rivs and BK, but there's going to be a couple aspects I want to touch on in the pregame with them. You'll hear from Craig Berube, of course, with Chris Kerber on the coaches show. A couple of player reaction as well, talking about Game 5 to Game 6. Jamie Rivers and I dive into the physical physical forecheck part of this uh, game number six and the elimination mindset from a team for your goaltender and i know it sounds strange but when your goalie's in that they got to be the level-headed one they got to clear their minds but it's the team in front of them knowing that it's elimination game how do they play so we're, jamie rivers and i will get into that and we're gonna have a blue note from jeff burton from 105.7 the point which is always entertainment
0: you do an awesome job thanks i appreciate that danny alex ferrario this is 101 espn Bad management of the clock by me yet again. That's okay. It happens. It's a Friday, Dan. That's all right. Sometimes I've been okay. Sometimes I haven't. This is one of the check marks in the boxes of haven't. So, BK, good to see you. Uh, What do you have coming up on the show? We've
1: got Scotty Upshaw, former Blues forward, coming up at 1130. We've got Chris Mason, former Blues goalie. I feel like we can have a couple of questions for him coming up at noon. And, Dan, how about Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina? Unbelievable. The it's more things change, the more they stay the same. Even in this strange season, that is 2020, where everything feels off. Those two dudes come through in the biggest possible moments.
0: As I said last night on the telecast, if you're a Reds fan, you're going to your TV. You're saying, are these guys ever going to retire?
1: Please. It's ridiculous. What Adam Wainwright. We'll get into this coming up more here in a minute. But what Adam Wainwright has done since this return is nothing short of remarkable. And I hope every Cardinals fan is really appreciating what we're watching right now. Yeah. Because this. What he's doing feels impossible. When yeah. you watch all of the other Cardinal starters, it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you can only go 40 pitches. Totally understand. Yeah. And then Wayno is just out here shoving for seven innings, getting 95 pitches. It's ridiculous. It is. It's absolutely ridiculous. Have a great show.
0: Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks. You do the same. Ribs and BK coming up, and I'll talk to you tonight on the broadcast, and then here on 101 Monday at 10, 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.